three um, sermons left in First John, and then we are going to be starting a new series. You're wondering what it might be. It's going to be six weeks. It's, it's called The Magnificence and Madness of Marriage. The Magnificence and Madness of Marriage. We're going to talk about marriage. Now, some of you may say, well, I've been married. I'd like to be married. I'm not married right now. What does this have to do with me? Well, marriage is a picture of Christ and his church. So we're going to unpack marriage, the magnificence of it, and the madness of it, to look at what God is doing and redeeming his people and how we grow to love them. So it's going to be a great sermon series. You know, people usually start coming to church when there's a new sermon series starting. Oh, I want to get at the beginning of that. And this certainly is something that anybody uh, can come to, single or not. So the magnificence and madness of marriage is going to be coming soon. All right, here are these words from 1 John 5, 6-12. Speaking of Jesus, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God, that He has borne concerning His Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has this testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony. That God gave us eternal life. This life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. The word of the Lord. Well, for the past two years, she's been a pocket and purse accessory to millions of Americans. She's provided weather forecasts and restaurant tips. She's been mocked as useless and answered absurd questions about what she's wearing. She is Siri, Apple's voice-activated virtual assistant, introduced to the masses on October 4, 2011. Well, behind this groundbreaking technology, there is a real woman. While the ever-secretive Apple has never identified her, we have discovered, this is a CNN article, all signs indicate that the original voice of Siri in the U.S. is a voiceover actor who laid down recordings for Apple eight years ago. She had no idea she'd someday be speaking to more than 100 million people through a not yet invented phone. Her name is Susan Bennett. She's a voice actress in Atlanta. You've probably heard her before. She's on countless phones and ATM machines and uh, the voice of Delta in the airport. That's Siri. Susan Bennett. Now, in the beginning, she wouldn't admit it, but when CNN uh, forensic specialists got a hold of some of the recordings and examined them and examined her, the truth was out, and she finally had to uh, admit it. She says that she had no idea what was going on. When a friend of hers, when Siri came out, heard Siri's voice and called her up and said, that's you, isn't it? And she said, yes. I want you to hear the voice of Susan Bennett, who is Siri. That is, of course, if I can find her. And that's not working. Let's try that again. Sorry, she's on. Let's try that again. You have to ask her a question. Ask her a question. Even better. 
I had an interview where Siri, how much wood could a woodchuck chuck and a woodchuck could chuck wood? We read it earlier, remember? 
Jesus Christ coming out of the water. Now in the Old Testament, water referred to death and it referred to judgment. We think of water as serene and beautiful, and it certainly is, but in the Old Testament, it referred to water and judgment. Think a little about death and judgment. Here's Psalm 69.1. You see this often in the Psalms. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters, and the floods engulf me. What about in the days of Noah, where the entire world was flooded? Everyone died except for the family of Noah, who emerged safe. What about the Egyptians pursuing the Israelites, who were drowned in the Red Sea, so they could no longer pursue and try to gain victory over the Lord's people? We go on again and again. What about Jonah, who was unfaithful to God's call and was sent into the depths of the earth, uh, the depths of the sea, until he repented? See, water is a picture of destruction. It's a picture of condemnation. But we also see that from water emerges life. Remember at the beginning, the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the edge of the deep, and the Spirit hovered over the deep, and God spoke, and creation came out of the formless, swirling waters. From water emerges life. The Israelites who went down into the water, following Moses, who came out of the water on the other side, moving toward the promised land. Indeed, they went through the river Jordan, didn't they, when they went in to possess the land. From water emerges life. Noah and his family, and the dove coming to rest after 40 days of rain. So what is this testimony that God has given? This testimony of water. It is that this one, my son Jesus Christ, has the ability to go down into death, into death, go down into the depths, and emerge to life. This is the one who can be punished and yet resurrected. Here is the one who I find no fault, who has the ability to lead you through judgment and out to salvation. God says, this is my son, who I have appointed to rescue you. The water speaks and testifies to who Jesus is. Well, what about the second witness, the blood? See, what was foreshadowed in the water of baptism was fulfilled in the blood on the cross. Revelation 17, 10 says, If any Israelite or any alien living who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person. I will cut them off from his people. For the life of a creature is in the blood. And I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. This is actually Deuteronomy. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Hebrews 9.22. Indeed, under the law, everything is pure. Almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. We even use the statement, don't we, in common culture? His blood be on your head. And so Jesus' ministry, which begins with baptism, ends at the cross. For we see in the cross the sacrifice given by the one who goes down into the depths of the sea. The one who dies, who identifies with people and dies. The one whose blood can save us all. But there is one more testimony, isn't there? There's the water, there's the blood, and then there's the spirit. 
The Spirit testifies because it is the Spirit of truth. The Spirit has always testified, hasn't it? Remember in this water, this baptism where Jesus emerges from the water and there is the dove coming down, the Spirit in the form of a dove? Where have we seen that before? We've seen it in the story of Noah, haven't we? The dove that comes bearing the leaf, the garland of peace, the message of God that I will not find fault with you. Indeed, I will never again flood the earth. You know, what is the rainbow but simply a bow from a bow and arrow turned upside down? I will never shoot at you again. I testify, the dove says, that this is the one who has come. This is the one who brings peace. This is the one who brings rest after the wrath. But the Spirit, most of all, testifies in the resurrection. This man, as Peter says in the book of Acts, was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. The testimony of the blood, the testimony of the water, and the testimony of the resurrection of Jesus Christ by the Spirit who raised Him from the dead is overwhelming according to the Scriptures. Three, Deuteronomy 17.6, on the testimony of two or three witnesses, a man shall be put to death. But no one shall be put to death in the testimony of only one. What John is saying is this witnesses, this testimony, shows that Christ is the one who has been anointed. Christ is the one who has been chosen and equipped. Christ is the one who has died, and Christ is the one who has risen again. And God's testimony is sufficient. I remember when, uh, this was probably 22, 23, we were in college, my wife and I, we used to go to this thing called Beach Week. Uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. We'd go to the CBA and we'd hang out in the Outer Banks. We had a great time. You know, it was fun. Now, a lot of us didn't live at the ocean. You know, you, when you live at the ocean, you come to respect the ocean because you understand what you can do. And there was one time when Rielin and myself, another person, and a friend of ours named Sheila, was going. Up, we were going out to the sandbar. You know, sometimes you're going out to the sandbar and there's no place to stand and you're swimming and you've never seen one. You get there and finally you get there and you can stand and it's like this. Well, we had gone out there. It was further than anyone thought, but we were standing and it was time to come back. And so we started swimming and it seemed interminably long. In fact, almost like the current was against us. And out of the corner of my eye, all of a sudden, I saw a kicking. I saw some sort of craziness going on. It was Sheila who panic had overwhelmed her, that she thought she was going to drown, that the waters were bringing her down. And if we had waited too long, we would have been able to hold Sheila because we were both tired. And so I quickly said to Sheila, get on your back, float on your back. And she had enough sense to turn and to lay on her back and just, I told her, and Riel and I coaching her along. Swim to shore. Use your feet. Swim to shore. It was one of the scariest moments of my life. Wondering what could have happened to this girl. 
See, that girl, Sheila, is us in the ocean of judgment and condemnation. Death approaches. How will we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? But God has given us testimony. He's given us a Savior to come alongside and said, get on my back and I will take you through the water as surely as I took the Israelites, as surely as I took Noah, as surely I will take you. You see, the testimony that God has given is right in front of us. It's not just a message, it's His Son. And so we must ask the question, have I examined the testimony? Have I honestly looked at the overwhelming testimony of God? For we must examine. We must examine who is God's appointed? Who is the one who will save me? Who is the one who will bring me to salvation? And the message of Jesus Christ reverberates throughout the ages. This one who came from God, this simple carpenter who continues to fascinate us. Millions who would die for him today. So my question for you is this, how much is enough? Jesus has said, I've given you, God has said, I've given you everything you need. I've given you overwhelming testimony. Now turn and believe. This brings me to my second point. If God has given us overwhelming testimony, we must return a verdict. See, God has testified, but now we must be tested. There's no testimony, is there, without a test. We often think when we're hearing about Jesus Christ that, we're on, that He's on trial as we examine the evidence. Truth be told, we are the ones who are on trial. For we sit in the judgment seat. And so, God gives his closing arguments through the Apostle John in 1 John 5, 9 and 10. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this, this water, this blood, this spirit is the testimony of God that he has born concerning his son. It was Bertram Russell, the great atheist philosopher, who was once asked what he would say if he was standing before God on judgment day. And God asked him, why didn't you believe in me? Russell replied, I would say, not enough evidence. Not enough evidence. But God has rested his case. Jesus' work is to save, but our work is to believe. If we shall receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. The world certainly testifies, doesn't it? We hear the witness of the world as we go about our day. The world either testifies this, that there is no God at all. The higher education and the philosophy of the age, secularism, meaning this world, this time, says that there is no God. John Dewey, the founder of modern education, an avowed atheist. Sigmund Freud, the father of psychology. A profound atheist, Stephen Hawking, Carl Sagan, mathematicians, astronomers, some of the ones touted by the media, all of them, saying that God does not exist. And when you go to university and you go to school, you hear the message. The testimony is, there is no God. It was Friedrich Nietzsche, 
the famous nihilist atheist philosopher who said that God is dead. God remains dead, and we have killed him. Yet his shadow still moves. How shall we comfort ourselves, the murderers of all murderers? What was holy and mightiest of all the world has yet owned has bled to death under our knives. Who will wipe the blood off us? What water is there for us to clean ourselves? What festivals of atonement, what sacred games shall we have to invent? Is not the greatness of this deed too great for us? Must we ourselves not become gods simply to appear worthy of it? The message and testimony of the world is that there is no God, and we are gods. The testimony is there is no God, but there is another testimony. Worship another God. No, you can't help it when you walk down the, uh, through the checkout aisle at the grocery store and you see all of the magazine articles touting the beauty of woman. Shape magazine. Get your new body. Kind of go, where's your old body if you get a new one? How to be beautiful. Why? Because we worship the God of beauty. The testimony of these magazines, of this age. And indeed, if you bow down to me, this goddess, this Isis, I will give you a new body. I will give you beauty. I will give you immortality. The testimony of the world are for false gods, are no god at all. But Jesus said, I have testimony way greater than that of John the Baptist, or anyone for that matter, for the very work that the Father has given me to finish and which I am doing, testifies that the Father has sent me. Jesus, great, great identifier, testimony is not necessarily even what he said, but what he did. Nobody goes into the grave and three days later comes out of it. Maybe a resuscitation after a couple hours, but we're talking about a resurrection. Further, the scripture says, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Something happens when we believe in the name of the Son of God. That this testimony which came from without, the water, the blood, now comes from within. Jesus said, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known to them. In order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself Christianity isn't a new philosophy, it's not a new tactic of how to drive, of how to live. It's the indwelling presence of the person of Christ through the Holy Spirit that transforms us. At the death of Blaise Pascal, a brilliant mathematician, sewn into his quote, uh, sewn into his code was this quote, this recount of a time in his life of his conversion. This is what Pascal said. From about 10.30 at night until about 12.30, fire. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and of the learning. Certitude, certitude, feeling, joy, peace. God of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, let me never be separated from him. What was abstract became to him certitude as his belief 
brought the presence of God into his life. And he was changed. The beauty of the gospel is that which is from without can come from within. That we can have life in Jesus Christ. But on the other side, it says, whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. See, God's wrath remains on those that don't approve and believe in his son. I mean, if I sent my son to do such a momentous act for someone else, and people did not acknowledge and recognize who he was and what he did, would I be any different than God? These folks, these philosophies of the ages, they make God out to be a liar. And woe to them. Jesus' wrath remains. And so which testimony will we choose? The testimony of man or the testimony of God who is greater? I don't know if you're familiar with the new Nike tennis line that just came out. I'm sure you've all been looking for it and shopping for it. Uh, it has the symbol of the bull up here, which is the symbol of Rafael Nadal, who is uh, one of the most famous players in the world. Now, when I saw this come out, you know, this Rafa line, I was a little bit upset, <coughs> honestly. I was never consulted. <laughs> I was never called. Would you like to be one of the, you know, the guy, the Nike spokesman? didn't happen. Now, I know Rafa won the French Open. I know he won the U.S. Open. But I won the Virginia Municipal 14 and Under Championships as a grown man. <laughs> girls' tournament. <laughs> Nonetheless, there was no call. Now, why did they choose Rafa and not choose me? Because the testimony of Rafa is greater than the testimony of me. You know, we believe in the testimony of all sorts of little things, don't we? We must take the testimony of the one who has come, who has changed history, who has risen from the dead. Don't believe it on my account. Believe it on the word of God. Believe it on the evidence. Because testimony that is far greater than the testimony of man has been given. And so what testimony shall he listen to? You must render a verdict, my friends, for the witness and the testimony has been given. What verdict will you return? Because the verdict here decides not only what we believe, who we believe, but who we worship. It's the verdict of your life. Two different consequences, life and death. Evidence, evidence, you didn't give me enough evidence. God has said, I've given you overwhelming testimony. The verdict you return, that is your decision. This brings me to the final point, the sentencing. There's been testimony, there's been a verdict. What is the sentencing? There's always a penalty at the end, isn't there, when the verdict is returned. And it's decisions that determine destinations. 1 John 5.11, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. As we can see, there are two sentences, a life sentence and a death sentence. One being death and the other being eternal life. You know, when you think about it, what is eternal life anyway? They asked that there was a survey done 
Who of you want to live forever? 46% of people said, no, I don't want to live forever. There's a big difference between the eternal life and eternal living. Eternal existing. He's talking about eternal life. Well, what is it? First, eternal life is immortality. That is true. Genesis 3.22. After the fall, God, speaking amidst himself, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Imagine an existence where there was no death. There was no sickness. There was no physical pain or weakness or degeneration. Eternal life is immortal life, the way our bodies were meant to be. But eternal life is so much more than that. Eternal life is love. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. What does this mean? The one who does not accept the testimony of Jesus Christ will not see God because God's wrath remains on him. It's horrible when somebody is upset with you, isn't it? I don't like it when people are angry with me. But God himself, the wrath of him remains. It must only mean that eternal life is that there is no wrath from God. Rather, there is love. Rather, there is joy. The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared you since the creation of the world. Come, who are blessed by my Father. Eternal life is immortality. It's love, and it's also life. John 5, 24, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He is crossed over from death to life. You know, there is an eternal death. We tend to think of death as, you know, lights out, the, the thing goes, uh-uh. Not according to the scriptures. What is hell? It's eternal death. Eternal existence under the wrath of God, cut out from His saving grace. But eternal life is the place where we're supposed to be. It is God's presence. It's where the deepest longings of our hearts are fulfilled. As the Psalms say, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. It's what we always hoped would be. It's all we who we always hoped we would be there. Jesus spells it out quite simply. Now this is eternal life. That you may know the one true God and Jesus Christ in C.S. Lewis's final uh, book in his series, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe of uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, excuse me, is a book called The Last Battle. And as the title indicates, there is a last battle between the forces of good and the forces of evil. And Aslan and his army triumphs. And then Aslan takes them to this stable and opens up the door and shows them Aslan's country. And the Pevensey children, Peter and Edmund and Lucy, gaze upon it. And Peter says, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. Come further up and come further in. And at the close of the book, it says this. And as he spoke, Aslan, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the 
last day we're beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. A longing fulfilled is a tree of life. God has given us eternal life, and eternal life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. There is a land that you and I have always been looking for. We may not know what it's called until now, but God has come to bring us to this land. And so we must make up our mind. And then, you know, with C.S. Lewis, who said, one always feels better when one has made up one's mind. Have you rendered a verdict? If so, you may experience, even in this world, the joy of a new king. A new world starting in our hearts. A new destiny in which we're walking. A new you. I don't know what life looks like for you. I don't know about the difficulties, and the challenges, and the nicks, and the scrapes, and the bruises we all sustain as we walk through this world. But every day, if we have made the decision for Jesus Christ, it comes closer and closer to this life. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so will my fellow Christians, look to your King. Look to the world to come. Live in hope and live in peace and live in anticipation. What we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Everyone who has this hope in Him purifies Himself, just as He is pure. Jesus has given us overwhelming testimony. If we choose to believe in this testimony and hold fast to it, we too will have life in His name. Let's pray. Lord, we long for this country, this world, in which we can see You not only by faith but by sight, in which we can touch You, in which we can experience that which we've had to hold on to only by faith. That the testimony now which we must appropriate by our belief will not be needed, for there you will be in front of us. Father, help us to look at the testimony day by day when the philosophies of this world come against us. Lord, help us to render our verdict surely, securely by faith, throwing all caution to the wind, even recklessly if we have to hold fast to the promises of you. And finally, Lord, let our sentence be life. Day by day, moment by moment, let us walk in the light of the Spirit. You who have rebirthed us into this new and living hope. We trust in you, for you are trustworthy. We pray all of this in Christ.